It's Behind the Headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I am executive editor of the Express News Group. We are the publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the websites 27east.com and sagharborexpress.com. With me is my co-host, Bill Sutton, who is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, folks. And uh, two terrific panelists with us today. We have Denise Civiletti, who is the editor of Riverhead Local website. How are you, Denise? Good morning. How are you? Good to have you, as always. And Bridget Leroy, who is an editor-at-large, as I say, you are Ronin. Uh, Most recently for the James Lane Post, which is one of the newer publications out here on the East End. Good morning, Bridget. Good morning. Glad to be here again. And happy holiday weekend, everybody. So it is the holiday weekend. Fourth of July holiday is upon us. It's going uh, to be rainy, right? It's not. I, you know, we we are recording this ahead of the weekend. So uh, I think we are looking ahead to a rainy weekend. Uh, but I don't know how Monday looks. Hopefully for the Southampton Village Fourth of July Parade, it will be nice and sunny. It is the 100th edition of the Southampton oh. Village Parade, uh, postponed last year, of course, although they did have a little impromptu parade uh, because they hated to see nothing. But that's sort of the, what, the point I wanted to make. We're, this is the 4th of July where we're kind of starting to return to a normalcy. Is that fair to say? I mean, I think there's still a lot to worry about with the pandemic. But uh, are, are you folks feeling a little closer to normal today? I, I have made plans for Saturday night to go out, uh, surprise plans, so I can't talk about them, with, with my husband to maybe see a particular troubadour at a particular place on the North Fork. Um, and I'm just hoping it doesn't rain. But yeah, I feel like, I mean, it feels so strange to be in places without a mask and all of that. But just really quickly to say, uh, I, I have to give it like a huge shout out to Dana Shaw for what I think is truly one of the best cover photos I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. It's, it's the graphic yeah, yeah. photo. I think it's on your Eastern edition. Is that correct? It's on the Western, Western. edition. Western, it's I'm sorry. From, from the West Hampton Beach. Right. Southampton Press Western Edition, where it shows this girl and her face just sums up kind of everything that these kids have been through in order to graduate this year, which is. And we didn't get to see that last year, really. I mean, we didn't have those kinds of photos last year because we couldn't have the gatherings. Um, So it's another little tiny step towards normalcy. Denise, we talked about this in an editorial that it's that that this is a, a holiday where it's really the first big holiday where we can start thinking about the virus being a concern, but not an active concern, because at least on the East end, I know on the South fork, uh, the state average for vaccination is around 72% of adults now, and actually 64% have both shots. That's pretty good. I think the goal is to get everybody over 70, but here on the South fork, we are told that Southampton and East Hampton towns are both above 80% as far as vaccination rates go. So it's tremendous and, down here. How and there, were, there were a number there were a number of communities as well that were um, plus 99%, which I think is pretty much 100%. Some small villages, Sagaponic, I think Quag, there were there were a few. Of Watermill, them. I think, was one of them. Well, yeah, just, just amazing to me. So the, the, the outreach on the South Fork has really been effective. How has it been uh, in Riverhead and on the North Fork? Well, from what I understand on the North Fork, last I saw, it was around 60%. Um, And uh, in the 11901 zip code, which covers kind of a a large area of uh, Riverhead, um, from downtown stretching due north to um, the Sound, um, and, you know, east to Aquabug and west to uh, Calverton and Wading River, but it also covers or takes in uh, Riverside and Flanders in Southampton town. And mm-hmm. um, the, the vaccination rate there last I saw was like 41, 42%. Mm-hmm. That's, in that a little area. Lower. That's, That's a little lower. That's significantly than the state. lower. Yeah, yeah, the state, the county, and the region. Why, why is that, you think? I have to check that again. Well, I mean, I don't know that people are not hazarding a guess, but I, I think that if they could, if they would break it down uh, according to um, like census designated places, maybe um, you know Riverhead Hamlet versus 
all a bigger chunk of Riverhead Town. I suspect the rates are lower there, and that's skewing the the one one nine zero one average rate. Um, and I think the reason I don't know, but I'm I'm get, I mean we know that um, minority communities have had so far a much lower uh, vaccination rate than um, non-minority like black and brown communities. And we have a very large uh, Latino population in downtown Riverhead, as well as in Riverside and parts of Flanders. So I think, I suspect that's something that's affecting it. I don't really know, um, but you know, there's also the political um, thing as well. I mean, it, 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 you know, vaccinations, unfortunately, worse than unfortunately, criminally, I think, have become a political football, yet another political football. And um, so I think that that could be a factor too, but, uh, you know, who knows? And I don't, you know, I've, since, since I was last on and we spoke about this, um, I, you know, I have started removing my mask more in public places and watching uh, the Delta variant uh, and the rise of the Delta variant, which is the one that um, really crushed India and crushed its health system, where you know the, the vaccine. Uh, the predominant yes. strain in the United States within the next couple of weeks, probably. Right, and and so like uh, you know, I think that that that's got me concerned because I feel like a, a lot of the same people who. Um, don't want to be vaccinated. Like Absolutely. politically, we're like, I'm not wearing a mask. And, and so that's a little concerning. And I mean, it, that what, what they're saying is that it's, it, it is much more transmissible, um, but the, the vaccine is still effective against it, yeah. against I've, serious illness and death. I think all of the vaccines that are being used have, have proven yeah. to be pretty effective against the Delta variant. But I wonder, so going back to the numbers, uh, I wonder if this is some kind of, uh, it demonstrates that there was a lot of outreach in East Hampton and South Hampton towns by Stony Brook South Hampton Hospital and by local governments to get into the uh, communities of color and into the Latino community um, to get those vaccines, vaccines out. It was really a, a focus, I think, uh, for some time. Was that true with Peconic Bay Medical Center and the, and the folks in Riverhead, or did that fall a little behind? Um, well, Peconic Bay Medical Center for a while, there's um, kind of vaccinating exclusively um, healthcare workers and health, you know, health workers at the hospital. And then Northwell had the, they opened up the, um, um, they call it the Entenman campus, the old uh, Suffolk County National Bank headquarters building on second street that, Northwell bought or that Peconic Bay bought, and um, they were vaccinating the general community there. I am not, I'm not aware of outreach that they did in those communities. And I know that, um, and I'm not aware that the town did any outreach in, in, the, in that community. This, the county did have a pop-up at um, a predominantly African-American church in Riverhead. Um, but as far as anything else, I'm not aware. The town's vaccinations e efforts uh, really seem to focus on seniors. Bridget? Yeah. Um, no, I was just going to say, I, I did write a, a, a small piece for Dan's papers last month. I think it, it was like a June, the June 10th or something like that, that um, uh, Ola, because we're talking about outreach, mm -hmm. Ola mm -hmm. did get uh, a CDC grant or was uh, in preliminary approval for a CDC grant. I'm not sure where that's gone, but I think it was like $100,000 and it was to vaccinate or at least bring education and outreach, you know, to, to the Latinx community. Mm -hmm. and they yeah, did a couple of pop-ups in East Hampton, I think, yeah. Ola. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. account for those, maybe the South Shore numbers a little. Um, and it's... There's a tipping point, too, in, in a community where if you can get so many people, and I believe that the, the standard is 70 percent, uh, at that point, the, the drop off in incidents goes, goes uh, it, it really does drop very quickly, sort of the way it grows very quickly. Uh, we're all becoming minor epidemiology experts, aren't we? Um, after a year and a half of this, it's it's starting to, to, to become secondhand to us. Um, but I wonder going back to July 4th, and this is the holiday weekend, and it's a big deal for a lot of people. I have to say, 
I have, you know, every year we say this, but it's true again. I've never seen the kind of crowds that we're seeing. Am I I wrong, Bridget? I I am lucky enough to live very well. (laughs) I'm a Westerner. I'm, I'm west of the canal. But, so am I, of course, but a little closer. But it's funny. In Hampton Bays. Right, right, of course. But I'm I'm even further west than you are. And um and I see the my our Facebook friends, many of them in media, taking pictures of these lines of traffic that go from from the roundabout in North Haven all the way over the bridge in Sag Harbor that it takes you half an hour to do a you know one and a half mile drive, that kind of stuff. And uh, I'm not jealous. I have to say that I live where no. I live right now. And no, it's been it's been crazy. I went out there the other day, um, and what usually takes me an hour took me two hours and forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's crazy. Good thing I have a strong bladder. That's all I can say. It's a long drive. Um, I also think, Bill, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I live, I live in, in Riverhead um, as well, but I was driving around um, last week on, on, on the South Fork. And, and I'll tell you, it was it was crazier last weekend than any holiday weekend that, that I've ever seen. And I imagine it's just going to be going to be nutty this summer. And I, and I think that's a really good thing. People are are out and about. They're feeling good. They're spending money. Um, they're eating out. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's going to be interesting to see if the restaurants are able to keep up with the onslaught. I think uh, that's been one of the challenges is getting people back in the kitchen and on the wait staff to be able to uh, accommodate uh, at all the different restaurants around here. But uh, it looks like we're off to a running start with July 4th. Uh, fireworks were planned for Friday, Friday night, although it's a little bit of a rainy Friday. I'm not sure if that'll come off or not. But again, the Southampton Village Parade is at 10 a.m. on Monday. That's a big deal. That's a regional parade. Everybody comes out for that from all over the region. So uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw from the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton of the Express News Group. And with us today, Denise Civiletti, uh, who is editor of Riverhead Local, and Bridget Leroy, an editor at large, who's done some recent work for James Lane Post. Um, So, Denise, I wanted to talk about a story that you did this week Uh, where uh, Governor Cuomo signed the Gender Recognition Act uh, last week. And you had a conversation with a young non-binary person. uh, And that's a fascinating conversation, isn't it? It it absolutely was a fascinating conversation. It's uh, a topic uh, of personal interest to me and uh, something that I have been uh, learning about over the course of the past couple of years. And um, I have to say that the conversation that I had was uh, further educating for me and I and I think others and and it had um, a surprisingly and I say that um, not with tongue in cheek but a good response to it from readers and um, I, I I say that because I say surprisingly because um, you know I mean there were, there were some people that made comments that I won't repeat but um, by and large uh, people were, um, congratulating this person for their bravery and uh, their their um, willingness to be open about a subject that uh, they had to know would would bring uh, criticism raining down on on them um, and and um, but you know with the support of a loving family and friends uh, they they decided to come out publicly like that. Um, I mean, you know, this, is, this is a part of the community that it's it's really remarkable how they haven't had a voice, uh, yeah. you know, over the years. It's it's one part of the community we really haven't heard anything from. And it seems that the climate is changing and people are interested and willing to listen. And 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 your article is an example of that. Right. I mean, you see that you see a bit of that. Mm-hmm. And and Ari uh, Ari summed it up to me. Uh, this is uh, Ari Reichel, the subject of that article. As uh, you know, it's really a lot of it is really generational. Um, the younger the young, younger generations don't have the same issues, even the same as we were talking before, linguistic stumbling blocks with uh, with some of these things. And um, you know, I think. I think things are changing in that way for the better for people um, because of, um, you know, pe- people c- who are coming up 
are are have a, a completely different attitude about it. I mean, it's, it was 10 years ago uh, last Friday when the governor signed that law uh, that uh, the marriage equality law was passed. Um, um, yeah. I, I have a, a little bit to say about this, of course, because I'm the mother of a trans son. Um, he was the first publicly out trans male at East Hampton High School. He graduated in 2014. Is that true? Yeah, I guess so, because he's 25. Um, and we didn't have all the research, uh, you know, the resources that are available now or all the terminology. And um, my son, Joel, um, was born Jolie. So that was an easy, an easy fix. <laughs> and uh, and he, you know, he was a miserable girl um, growing up and and um and when he came out, he changed into being this wonderful, cocky, fantastic, confident master's degree in forensic entomology, living in Hawaii with his boyfriend guy. And, uh, you know, he always made a point that's really interesting about non-binary and trans people, which is, um, and maybe someday this will be a thing, but LGBT um, as the given acronym, the LGB part is really about who who you're attracted to and the t part is really about your identity and who you are and so is the non-binary it's not about you know who who you you are in love with it's 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 different it's uh, i mean i truly believe i mean we went through many 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 you know we went through two years of of specialty um what, what do you call it psychiatry with him and stuff like that to really um understand and I had to drive him all the way to Brooklyn because that was the closest place. It was a two and a half hour drive. Uh, you know, at 2014 was a different time when, yeah. we, when we talk about these topics. I mean, I have to say the courage for a high school kid to Absolutely. come out in 2014, <laughs> that 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 is pretty remarkable. Well, it was, I mean, that was not. A he um, I, I'm sorry, because I would say he was able to his junior year. He was still I she and then for for his senior year he was he and the school was wonderful i have to say they completely um and and he is living his life you know out and proud and um he was when they opened the L he was instrumental in helping to open the lgbt um center in sag harbor and the, the like the keynote speakers were like him and edie windsor and he was 17 you know wow steve bernstein gave him a tour and bob challoner um gave him a tour of the edie windsor center last week which was they he was back from hawaii and he had like a semi-private tour because he really was instrumental and he's only 25 now uh, in in really helping, um, so I'm very very proud, very proud mama here. You should be. You yeah, absolutely should be. That's so, so it's so exciting, and I think it goes to to Joe's point of changing times. I had a very close friend who was who was trans, and she um, she transitioned probably 30 years ago, and it was a much different time. And they were they were actually instructed and in giving courses on how to hide that and how to not be public about it and how to come up with different lies and explanations to um, to 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 explain, you know, explain different different things and, and to try to, you know, fit into society quietly. And, and I don't think that worked for her. And, and I think, you know, it was a it was a very difficult life for her ended tragically a few years ago. Um, and and I, I think it's just it's it's absolutely fantastic that that we've gotten to a point in time where where people can can be out and, and open about that and be who they are and who they need to be and well, uh, not everybody. You know, and I mean, it's it's not i mean i didn't mean to interrupt but not everybody let's let's just be really clear there's a lot more education and outreach that need well of course sure. i mean my son was was called it um you know people would ask him questions about his genitalia that were completely inappropriate um but he just took it you know he was able to answer questions but but now it's been you know eight years or nine years he's just he's a guy he just lives like yeah. a guy, and I, I never even think about it except when something like this comes up i do have to give a shout out i i'm not trying to but but for this station wliw we we actually uh, Alex Oclo and I got two awards for race and diversity, and one of them was interviewing my son Joel Malia. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's it's an issue that people, um, if they want to know about it, 
are, you know, then they're already part of the choir and the people who don't want to know about it are, are the ones that need to be reached. And Denise, I think you made a great point about the generational aspect of it, that young people today, I think we, you know, and, and, and we struggle, I, I shouldn't say we, I struggle from time to time as someone who's been in this business. And, and now we have new rules as far as using pronouns and, and it can be uh, a complicated transition for someone like me, uh, just because I've, I've been around for a long time and this is new, it's not new to a new generation of people, right? It, it, it's just, it's not a big deal to most young people. And I think in another generation, it, it'll, it'll just become so commonplace that it'll seem silly that we're even having this conversation. I, I think, I think that's absolutely true. I think, you know, people, uh, of the next generation, the millennials and, uh, I guess there's some people that are calling Zoomers. Uh, I don't know, but um, yeah, that um, you know, like they they said. My my daughters, who are both millennials, said to me ten years ago, um, "Well, it's not going to be too long before people are saying, you know, what was all the fuss about when the Marriage Equality Act was passed? Um, truly, uh, you know, what was all the fuss about? The sky was falling. If you listen to some people, uh, people are going to be marrying their dogs and stuff. Like I, you know, um, so." It's just, it was it became part of the culture wars in our society, unfortunately. But we got past that, and you know the sky didn't fall, and everything is okay. Marriage hasn't been you know destroyed as a result. So I mean, Ari, the way Ari put it to me the other day was, um, I live in a I'm navigating a world where people consider my identity, my gender, um, imaginary. You know. And, um, you know, sadly, that was one of the first comments that got posted on our Facebook page when I put up the link to, to our story um, was basically, you know, you, you need uh, you need to get mental mental help, mental yeah. health help because um, yeah. there's something yeah. wrong with you. I think I think it's a it's a fascinating conversation, too, about how it ties to um, same sex marriage and the legalization of it and the lack of fallout from that, I think, changed the landscape. It, it mm -hmm. opened up most people's minds to say all of the culture war language about those kinds of societal changes tend to just be overheated and let's listen to people. Um, these are human beings that we need to know more about. And I think that's been a remarkable change in, in the last decade or so uh, in American society. I really, I, I'm, I'm really proud of America for that. It took a long time and it's a shame that it took as long as it did, but it did finally get there. Interesting. Everyone should be allowed. I'm sorry. Uh, everyone should be should be able to be themselves, whoever they are. Exactly. And it shouldn't be it shouldn't affect your your legal status. You know, that's as American an idea as I think of. You know? Yeah. Bridget. Just a really interesting quick factoid. When I started doing research on on trans, you know, transsexuals, as they're called, um, you know, for for my son, when I was doing this research, you know, this is kind of even pre-surgery, especially FTM, female to male surgery. They, uh, it was, I, I'm not sure how they came about it, but a scientific study says that one in every 200 people is trans. Like if you're in a room with 200 people, one of them was born as a different sex than what they are portraying. Um, so that was really interesting. I mean, that it's been around way before surgery. You know what I mean? People, we always hear these stories about some pirate that turned out to be a woman. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> and th those were trans people. They were living their lives as someone different. And um, and it's just become it is becoming, like you said, more accepted by every generation. And yeah, my my kid, my 21 year old son lives here. He has no problem with the they them. I mean, I have no problem with it you know, it, it, in a moral or like conceptual way. But like you said, being trained as an editor to always say he, she, and never they or them, or, you know, it's, yeah. it's difficult. Just It's a point. linguistic challenge more than anything. It just, it just doesn't, doesn't come off of the tongue very well. And, and, but those things 
take time. You get the rough edges worn off over time and, and it'll become much, much easier, I think, as we move forward. So a uh, great story, Denise, and, and uh, a great topic, an important one to give voices to people in the community uh, that we need to hear from. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw from the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton of the Express News Group. We are here with Denise Civiletti uh, of Riverhead Local and Bridget Leroy, who is an editor at large. Uh, so let's move on. Uh, so it's July 4th weekend. Another topic that's probably of interest is outdoor dining. This was something relatively new in our region last year uh, that came about because of the pandemic, because it was much safer uh, to dine out outdoors. Uh, a lot of the communities saw some real benefits to that. Uh, the businesses certainly did. And there is a lot of talk now about keeping it moving forward in some fashion. What's that conversation like in Riverhead and on the North Fork, Denise? Well, I mean, just yesterday, uh, the Riverhead Town Board uh, extended a waiver of the existing permit requirements in the town code for sidewalk cafes. Uh, you could previously get a permit for that, but um, it, it limited the area that you could occupy on a sidewalk. It limited um, the, um, uh, you couldn't obstruct parking spaces and things like that. But during the pandemic, when outdoor indoor dining was actually banned by the governor, I recall, and, and uh, so they, they hastily um, adopted this waiver and allowed outdoor dining and it was popular. Uh, restaurants took advantage of it. People, you know, so much so that we had restaurant owners telling us they weren't sure if people would want to come inside again. Um, I don't, I don't think that has panned out from what I see. Uh, the people who are going into restaurants are going into restaurants. I, I don't think that's been uh, really an issue. I mean, people do like sitting outdoors. I mean, I did that before there was a pandemic, right? Um, but, um, and, and I know like in, in Greenport, for instance, some yep. of the restaurants there really, really uh, embraced this idea. And even into the fall, uh, we're, we're creating really comfortable spaces, uh, for people. I know on the North Fork, there were a couple of restaurants. Um, I think one of them was, uh, was, it was along the main road there. They had heaters and, uh, an outdoor setup that was almost like outdoors, indoors, and, uh, I thought that was really inventive for considering, you know, the stress of the time. And, and I guess it, a lot of it had to do with, they had to do something. Yeah. They, um, well, they, they did the same kind of thing with tents and heaters and tents and things like that in parking areas and in, in parking lots behind the restaurants, say on, um, on the, on uh, Riverhead's main street, East main street. So, uh, so they extended it through the summer through September 30th, and they are talking about making it permanent. Um, and Bill, on the South Fork, it's been outdoor dining has been sort of anathema for a lot of years that that restaurants just stopped asking because it seemed like the villages and, and the, you know, to a lesser extent, the towns just weren't even interested in having those conversations. But now the towns and villages really are open to the concept. I, I think if, if there was I hate to use the word silver lining, but if there was a silver lining to the pandemic, it's that it, it, it opened that up. I mean, it always surprised me that there wasn't more outdoor dining um, in the little village downtowns. I mean, you go to any resort area in, in the country or the world, and that's part of what you see is that that outdoor dining. It makes the downtown look vibrant. Um, it, it's attractive. People, you know, strolling along. Oh, let's let's get something to eat. Um, Southampton Village right now, I, there's there's, you know, a, a dozen or more places that have tables outside and you drive down down Main Street or, or some of the other main main drags in Southampton Village. And it just looks like a really active, vibrant community. And, and I don't think you I don't think you always saw that. My, my question is, though, you know, when it gets to be 90 degrees and it's muggy, are people going to want to eat outdoors or are people more comfortable going back indoors in the air conditioning and, and eating? And, um, you know, like Denise, I'm not wearing my mask as, as often anymore and I'm pretty comfortable in restaurants. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to if it's going to tip back or if, or if this is really something that's 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 here to stay. Bridget, I mean, people have the option, right? You can go indoor, you can go outdoor. Um, and I, I love Bill's point that in Southampton Village in particular, it's really increased the vibrancy of the village uh, in a way, you know, it's it seems 
it's one of those things where you feel like, why wasn't this done years ago? Because it it really does make the village seem so much livelier. Yeah. I mean, uh, just on uh, Main Street, Southampton, I mean, I'm probably leaving people out, but I I noticed like Golden Pear and then you've got 75 Main, you've got the village cheese shop. And it's like all these, it's just, it's wonderful. It's like it's it's European almost, right? Or or Disney-esque. What? Or Disney-esque. It's almost it's almost like a it, it Main Street becomes a big amusement park with people just walking around from from place to place. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I know it sounds a little snarky, but I think it's a good thing. No, I think uh, Georgie will be will be happy that you mentioned Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> our publisher. Yes, she is a uh, our co-publisher is a huge fan. No question. Um, I, I do think the villages and towns are going to have to uh, develop some codes and 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 come up with some longer term plans to to just organize this because i mean there are some concerns i mean in some of the villages and hamlets uh those roads are busy and when you start moving pedestrians further towards traffic or you know there there are issues that i think do need to be addressed but it's uh denise it's it's gotten us over the hump right we're actually having the conversation about keeping this on a permanent basis. It took the pandemic to really sort of break through and, and get get local officials to even be thinking about it. Absolutely, and and I think that they've seen that it works. Um, I think also, I, I, need, I haven't looked into this, but I think that there are like county health codes that yeah, are applied to this. And so I don't know if the county has changed that temporarily or whatever, but I know that was always, uh, I, I I know that from looking into it for a, for a client of mine decades ago uh, at this point, but um, you I know, think, so I think, I think that's something that needs to be looked at as well. I think what it's what it comes down to is if you have seats outside, you have to take seats away from inside. You can't have all your 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 capacity inside and outside yeah. at the same time. So so maybe on those ninety degree days, the restaurants have more seats available inside and less mm-hmm. seats available outside. That type of thing. But I think whatever the county permit, your septic permit is capped your capacity at. You have to maintain that whether you're inside or outside. And I, I see. Okay. Even with East Hampton Village, which I used to, that used to be one of my beats, I know zoning wise that wet spaces was just a huge big deal because right. the, the sewer system was archaic. I mean, it wasn't even like, it wasn't that they didn't want more restaurants or outdoor dining. It's that the sewer system would, would, would make Main Street look very ugly if it exploded. So that would not be a good thing. And, uh, but I believe that they're, starting to 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 work on that um i mean you would probably know more about that but i believe that there's some there's a lot of a lot of municipalities now are starting to have the conversations uh a lot more seriously because i think there's a thought that there may be some federal infrastructure money coming down the line that will help make uh sewers more uh you know more more of an option and uh southampton village is certainly having that conversation but bill this week we found out that southampton town is actually looking at potentially sewering hampton bays and their downtown correct I think that was a little bit of a, a, a surprise, but it makes sense. They they instituted a, a new zoning district in the downtown area of Hampton Bays last year, or the year before. Um, I forget the timeline because of, because of COVID, and and I think the sewer district would would mimic that. And and it's an effort, I I think, to you know to improve the the downtown business district and make that more more viable. And I think the sewer district obviously helps with that in in perhaps you know housing above uh, stops you know shops and stores and 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 maybe more like uh, Bridget said more wet uses more. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of dining downtown Hampton Bays, but maybe you could um, you could work out a little more. But I'll tell you, if anybody wants to model now for house sewers and working out you know improving your outdoor setting uh west hampton beach certainly has set a bar now for the villages and the hamlets and and it shows how you can really transform a a a business district it's remarkable um how isn't it it's just uh we we went through there and and, and i don't think you're even going to see the effects of the new sewer district for another year or two i mean they're still they're still working on that but you're going to see you know, the village hopes to put a big uh, B&B there where the old bank was in the on the corner of uh, Mitchell Road. And and I think other, you know, again, apartments and, and, and other wet uses. And um, and and there one I mean, that sewer district, West Hampton Beach, was paid for mostly with 
um, you know, state and county money, which which is fantastic. And I think that's what the town's looking at in, in Hampton Bays and what Southampton's going to Southampton Village is going to be looking at is, I mean, that was always the big bugaboo about about putting in a sewer district is how are you going to pay for it? It's millions and millions and, and millions of dollars. But if these federal grants and state grants, you know, become more available, it just becomes easier to do. And I think you see a smaller scale. West Hampton Beach Village at one time talked about sewering the entire village and, and kind of settled in just the downtown area. And there was a, you, you have to have an environmental component as well. In West Hampton Beach, it was, it was about making money bog Bay cleaner. And in Southampton Village, I think you're going to see it tie into Lake Agawam, um, you know. But, you know, West Hampton Beach has an advantage, which um, I mean, it's so beautiful and I love love going there and everything, which is it's not it's a little off the beaten track. Right. It's a destination thing that Bridgehampton and East Hampton. I don't because 27 goes right. You know, it's Montauk Highway by that point. But the main drag goes right through West Hampton Mm -hmm. Beach. And Sag Harbor to a certain extent, even though, I, I mean, I'm sure this weekend Sag Harbor is going to be a crazy place. <laughs> be a conga line of silver going in and out of that place. But but it's, um, you know, it's a little bit off of the main drag. And even Southampton to a certain extent is, even though, you know, 27 doesn't, doesn't run right down it, Hill Street is mm-hmm. in and out, you know, for the trade parade and and all of that. So it's it's got a lot of traffic going in and out. So I I, I think that's what makes Greenport so attractive up on the North Shore too. Is it's kind of its own little self enclosed um, village there. Yeah, you don't have too many tractor trailers coming through uh, exactly. Main Street. I mean, that's I think that's an issue with Main Street and Riverhead. Uh, you know, it, it is a truck route, and yeah. if you, I mean, I've sat at on the sidewalk at a sidewalk cafe outside a restaurant there and uh the noise and the fumes and they it's not the most uh pleasant uh surroundings let's say but um you know i I'm, are, in the village are, with this new sewer system are they who's who's operating the treatment plant is it a municipally That's operated it. plant West Hampton Beach had had an unusual circumstance. They were able to do a sewer system without adding a plant because what they did was pay for a sewer line that ran, I don't know, it's more than a mile to an existing treatment plant up near Grabeski Airport. So they avoided the expense and the difficulty of siting uh, sewage treatment plant. I think that was huge in, in making that possible in West Hampton Beach. However, that said, uh, I think a lot of the villages now are going to have some interesting options moving forward with sewers because one of the proposals now in Southampton Village is not to build one big sewage treatment plant, but to build some smaller sewage treatment facilities that that basically treat a couple of buildings and you you know they're much smaller and less impactful. Uh, it, it, the the science has evolved. One of the things about Southampton Village delaying action on this is that the science has evolved over the years and there's a lot more options now than there used to be. So I, I was be- going to bring that up actually, Joe, because uh, Glynis Berry of Peconic Green Growth has uh, been advocating those kind of community um, systems with uh, employing the new technology, the new science um, and not having major, you know, big sewage treatment systems and not having um, individual advanced septic systems for either one building or one house, but kind of like pooling resources. Um, exactly. So I was, I was curious about that. So. Yeah, the IA systems have been sort of a game changer, I think, and that's only in the last five years or so. So, mm-hmm. all right, this is Behind the Headlines on WLAWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Uh, with us today, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local and Bridget Leroy, who is an editor-at-large in the journalism community on the East End. Um, so, Denise, uh, let's talk plot. Uh, <laughs> Again. This is going to be, I mean, I'm sort of intrigued by the fact that there is a more conversation about this, that municipalities have a real big decision to make coming up. And Riverhead is getting close to making a decision about whether or not they are going to allow the, the, the municipalities have the option of opting out of allowing the sale of marijuana. Explain this, what they're facing and what Riverhead's looking to do now. OK, well, the, the law that was passed by the state um, legalizes, as we know, although 
the use and possession and uh, cultivation of uh, marijuana and um, also the sale of it at retail and the consumption of it on premises in uh, marijuana lounges, they, they called it. Um, so the, the state law legalizes all that, but it also gives a local municipality the ability to opt out of the retail sale so these retail dispensaries and the lounges, and and then they can regulate where those facility, you know, where those shops are going to go and where they're not going to go, and the hours of operation and that sort of thing. The municipalities cannot opt out of um, the use and possession. Problem. That's like off the table, but the, the actual sale and um, the kind of carrot, if you will, for the municipalities to. Uh, stay in and not opt out is uh, the sales tax. It's the, the town will get directly a 3% um, sales tax. So, so potentially nobody really knows for sure, but potentially that could generate a significant amount of revenue. Um, so that's the framework. And um, Riverhead has been discussing um, this. They Well, sort of discussing this. It's been on the table, let's say. And they had an online survey and uh, 1,400 responses and 71%, I think, of or 73% of the people favored having uh, retail shops and 60-something percent favored having the lounges. And um, despite that result, then the town decided to um, put up an, put an opt-out law together and proposed it and had a public hearing on it. And people showed up at the public hearing and it was kind of evenly split. Um, and then, you know, okay, so now what are you gonna do? Uh, it's on the agenda for Wednesday, the next meeting on Wednesday. Um, and um, I had predicted, I, it turns out incorrectly that they were going to adopt the opt-out law <laughs> and that they would put it that, and hope that uh, someone puts it, you know, people organize and put it on the ballot because it's this, if they adopt it, the state law says if they adopt the opt-out law, an opt-out law, it is subject to what is called uh, referendum by petition so that um, people can organize, collect signatures. And if you get, I think it's 10% of the people, the number of people who voted in the last gubernatorial election <laughs> to sign that petition, uh, it, it goes on the ballot in, um, in November. So um, I, I thought they were going to do that just so they had, could deflect, you know, and not have let to the people, really let the people make a decision. decision you know? end, yeah. But, but you, but you the, think it's going to pass? You, you think they're not going to opt out? Now? Yeah, I think, well, after the it's on the ballot, they just like this is, uh, you know, how Riverhead operates lately. They like go through the resolutions. The deputy supervisor reads the titles of them and nobody discusses them. That wasn't brought up at a work session and. You know, they just didn't discuss it. This is just, you know, okay, this resolution is to adopt the opt-out law. So after the meeting ended, I said, uh, question, um, is there support for this? Because I had, you know, talked to me and talked to people. And um, so we got, after the meeting, three council members said that they would not vote for it on Tuesday. So, I mean... In the good old days, uh, if you didn't have a majority, it was rare that they somebody would actually put a re that, that the resolution would actually stay on the agenda. But apparently, it's going to. So I don't know. Um, Just want to get them on the record, probably, right? Yeah, you know, the supervisor and um, one the new council person uh, who was appointed by the town board in January to fill Jody Giglio's seat when she after she was elected and took office in the state assembly um, uh, said would not commit. Uh, the supervisor said she's still researching it and um, she hadn't decided and the council person didn't say much of anything, but he wouldn't commit. Uh, but Councilman Tim Hubbard, uh, former Riverhead police detective and uh, uh, council uh, woman Catherine Kent and uh, Councilman uh, Frank Bayrod all said after the meeting that they would not support the opt out law. So it looks like that's not going to go anywhere unless somebody changes somebody's mind between now and Wednesday. I don't know. <laughs> Anything is possible. And Bill, on the South Fork, um, it's been, I know that that uh, Peter Van Skoyak, who's the supervisor in East Hampton Town, has said that East Hampton Town will opt out. Um, Jay Schneiderman, the supervisor in Southampton Town, has been a little more on the fence about it. And I think some of the villages have at least made noises like they may 
uh, opt out as well. Um, I, the thing that gets me about this issue is it feels like somebody standing down at the ocean in the water, holding up their hands, saying, I'm going to stop this from yeah. happening. Um, I, I, my, my, my prediction is they had a, and they had a big meeting in West Hampton Beach uh, last week, too, and, and didn't come to any any conclusions. I haven't heard on, on from either town or any of the villages about putting any resolutions on to opt out. And I imagine what's going to happen is everybody's just going to run out of time because if they want to do this in time to get a to get a referendum in November's ballot, they have to make a decision next month, I think, is is, is the deadline. And I think you're just going to see you're going to see that timeline just just expire and everybody's going to go, oh, well, you know, whatever. And rather than having to make a decision or saying yes or no, it's just going to kind of um, it's just going to kind of ease into everybody not opting out because it, it's you know, it, it, you have to opt out to opt out, obviously. And if you do nothing, then then it just then it just takes effect. And, and my my prediction is and just based on on nothing other than than, than my guess. <laughs> Um, you know, my prediction is that it's all just going to it's all just going to move forward. I, I, I don't I don't see I, I don't see the point of opting out if all your neighboring towns and villages are not opting out. Do you want to be the only town that's not making that revenue every year or that village or or, or whatever? Um, so it, it'll all waft in that direction. So I, yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> stand, stand outside. The winds are pretty heavy. Um, they don't have forever to make this. That's the funny right. thing. It's like it has to be adopted by local law. Right? right. So that has requirements for publication and stuff like that. Right. They have to have a public hearing on a local law. Right. And um, then they have to adopt it. And then it they have to allow 45 days um for this public, you know, for this referendum period, that's mandatory. And then in order to get it on the ballot, um, at, at a minimum, they have to have the, the ballot proposition to the uh, Board of Elections 60 days in advance of the November election. So when you put all those things together, they don't have forever. And as I mentioned uh, a couple of uh, times ago here, the um, the state board of elections has a different opinion about how long, what kind of a lead time they have to give the uh, county board of elections with that ballot proposition. Because in January 2019, there is uh, there was an amendment to the ballot uh, section of the law in the board of, in the state elections law that said it has to be not, it has to be there 90 days. But the permissive referendum section of a different law, uh, the town law. Uh, still says 60. So which controls, uh, you know, I mean, the guy I spoke to at the state board of elections at the time said, well, they may have to go to court. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? But I mean, even at, even with the 60 days, if you do the arithmetic, you know, they're running out of time. So um, also, I feel like municipalities who opt out, there's two things. One is what is the goal of that? Is the idea being that we don't want pot in our in our area? Well, I think that ship has sailed and I don't think there's anything you're going to do about that. And the second thing here, there's a wild card, and that is the, the Shinnecock Nation, which is in the midst of all of these municipalities. The Shinnecock Nation will be selling marijuana when the time comes. They've basically made that clear. They have a, a cultivation center uh, that they're planning on on site. The, there will be pot sold on the East End. The question is, can these municipalities really justify passing up the I, revenue? I, I, it I comes down it just, to money. It, well, it comes down to an ethical decision. If you're going to opt out, it, it's it's just based on, on, on an ethical decision, which I think is hypocritical if you have bars um, selling alcohol in, in your municipalities. Um, you know, I mean, it's going to happen. I, I think you know, again, like like other things, I mean, it, it, it's the you know, it's the oh, my God, there's going to be pot sales in, in, in town. And once it happens, it's going to be probably not so big a deal and, and people won't even notice. And the, the other point, though, is if they don't opt out, then the, then the towns and the villages have, you know, municipal control, planning control over location and hours and that type of thing or where these, um, you know, where these these dispensaries um, where these pot bars um, are are going to be located, and and I think you want to you want to give the municipalities that 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 control to to decide we want it over here and not over there, maybe. 
I, I just think this whole conversation is so interesting because, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic. We're in the 20s. It's it's the roaring 20s all over again. And, you know, that was bathtub gin. Like, what are we going to have, like bathtub Ex- pot? I mean, it's the same discussion that people were having exactly 100 years ago. Well, we've you know? got path, bathtub pot now, right? I mean, we've got <laughs> yeah, a pretty, pretty big but, black market. But it's the same thing as like, oh, horrors. And, and I was part of the oh, horrors because, you know, you, you can get pulled over for driving under, you know, it used to be driving while intoxicated and now it's driving under the influence right. which is a broader spectrum and a broader net to cast but yeah i mean the you know it's like this is going this is like joe said the ship has sailed like yeah. let's not you know you're not going to run after this ship so at some point yes there's going to be money made just like there is off of alcohol and there's taxes and there's you know oversight and all of those things And I just don't know why it's been such a long time coming. This is another example of the way having been cleared by Colorado and Washington State and other places where this has been done. And all of the catastrophes that were predicted really didn't come to pass. So when we were in Seattle a few years ago, um, we we talked to somebody about it. They were kind of on the, you know, on the cutting edge of that. And they said that the opioid use was way down because of the availability of marijuana. So actually had benefits. Yeah. It's such a complicated topic, no question. And and it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds locally, because I, I, I just think there's going to be such an opportunity for the municipalities uh, to make some revenue. And as Bill said, they're going to want to be able to control where these uh, dispensaries and where the, the lounges are located. Uh, I think opting out is going to be a dangerous strategy for most of the villages and towns if they choose to do that. We are largely out of time here, folks. Um, We ran out of time. We still have, there's always so much more going on uh, that we could have a conversation about, but uh, I think this was a nice, lively conversation about a lot of topics that are important, especially on a holiday weekend when we're all getting excited as we head into the teeth of the summer 2021 storm. Uh, I want to be crazy. Oh, can you imagine? It's already crazy. It's only going to get worse. I want to thank, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local for joining us today. Thanks, Denise. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. And thank you, as always, to Bridget Leroy uh, for joining us as well. Bridget, always fun. Trans people poop and pot. I'm on here. <laughs> we cover it all. Topics. <laughs> we cover the waterfront here on Behind the Headlines. Uh, Bill Sutton, thank you uh, for, as always, every week being here. My pleasure. What a great show it was. And I'm Joe Shaw, and this was Behind the Headlines. We'll be back next week. Thank you all, and thanks for listening.